Welcome back to .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. And I'm Richard Campbell. And we're here at Sydney, NBC Sydney to be exact, Sydney, Australia, in the last of the second day. Yep. Yep. It's Had good. a good run of shows. Had a lot of fun doing them. And, you know, we work in between shows, so it's like, you know, we're either up in our room or in the speaker's lounge. and A uh, little run down to the floor. Yeah, but it's great. I love this uh, Love this show. It's a good job, isn't it? Yeah. It's a good job. And a shout out to Adam Kogan and the people at SSW for putting this little stage together, and mm -hmm. they're doing their own things here in a live stream. And we may not have mentioned it in previous shows, but this is actually streaming live yep. as we're recording this, and then we go back and edit our recording afterwards. But So, hi out there. Thanks, SSW for letting us do this. How have you been since the last time I saw you? A couple it? hours, yeah, couple something hours, like that. Yeah. I think we had a cup of tea together, you yeah. know, the, the, the usual. I Nothing on, special happening? Or? We're, I'm working on next shows too, right? Yeah. I mean, that's sort of reality for us. It's the fall conference season, so there's a bunch of shows, one right after yeah. that. Yeah, yep. But I'm not complaining. No know. rest for the wicked. Better than a real job. And speaking of better, let's do Better No Framework. Awesome. All the music. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, I went looking for stuff as I kind of do when yeah, I do. run out of ideas, and I found this pretty cool site called Hey.Space. Mm, good domain name. Hey Space. Hey Space. It's been described as if Slack and Trello got married and had a baby. So, project management and messaging? Yeah, it's kind of like you get the groups and the chat and all that stuff, okay. but then you get a board with cards and everything and then you can interact with them and the chat at the same time. It's kind of neat. Okay, cool. So, yeah, it's kind of simple, but sometimes those tools are, you know, really useful. Yeah, you know, I've always liked about Trello and Slack for that matter as well, too. It's like the basic concept's not that complicated. What you yeah. do with it is where the depth comes from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all right. So, worth taking a look at. Let's hey, go. space. Hey, space. <laughs> know it, learn it, love it, huh? Who's talking to us today, Richard? Grab your comment off of show 1520, which we did back in February of this year, 2018, where we talked to Cameron Burge and Tarek Daoud about security for nonprofits. Mm. And, you know, I think one of the essence of that show was just like, just because you're a not-for-profit or a 501c3 or charity or anything like that, doesn't mean you aren't responsible for data security, just as much, if not more so. Yeah, right. You know, the serious responsibilities. I had a few good comments on that show. I wanted to read this one here from Joshua Hillerup who said, I know a company whose network was hit by ransomware, because we talked about that, through their HR department opening what they thought was a resume. Right. You know, Word doc. Yeah. Yeah. Really, I think we need a new culture of software security that it would make it so that the default for a regular account runs whitelisted software. Yeah. And this is a conversation I recently had on Run As Radio about this idea that, you know, normally we do blacklisting where you, anything's right. allowed on the machine, but then we, you know, use malware to remove the stuff we don't like. Mm -hmm. And whitelist says, here's a list of what can run on the machine. That's it. Right. So the idea that you operate in different account levels, that your regular account mode would be whitelist only. So you basically can't introduce any new software to the mm -hmm. equation mm -hmm. as opposed to then you have to have an elevated privilege to do anything else. Right. No ability to execute any other sort of code without having explicitly approved by the network administrator. However, that won't work with a lot of legacy and even not so legacy software out there, let alone coming up with a way to still have developers be able to develop software. Now, hmm. this is the part where I disagree with Joshua because there is a pattern for managing all of that, that you can mark up legacy software, put it in a whitelist, go through things, tools like AppLocker to actually protect that. And same thing, you know, there's a reason we have signed code policies hmm. where if you're building applications eternally, if you're using the certificates that way, you can through group policy and I'm, you know, put my IT hat on here, say, hey, if you see this cert, sign with that code, let it run. Yeah. 
So there are solutions to all that. It's just not trivial. Yeah. You know, there's a bunch of steps and thoughts that have to go into it. And I'm sure our guests will have more to yeah. say on that. So, Joshua, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code Buy is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code Buy, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code Buy. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We read them under least privilege. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that, before we get started here, did you see that Newegg got hacked? Yeah, yeah. Somebody injected 12 lines of JavaScript into their checkout process. And No. Oh, yeah. Awesome. I, do, I did so, see that Troy, who's here, was mentioning, yeah. yeah, no, this looks like it's real. So, yeah, it just never ends. So I'm breach after the next. Well, anyway, we'll, we'll talk to Nina about that, I'm sure. And speaking of Nina, let me introduce her. Nina Julia Dotter was a software developer who became tired of reading about data breaches caused by insecure source code and decided to do something about it. Currently, she's a principal application security consultant where she helps software developers write secure applications that keep data safe. Welcome to .NET Rocks, Nina. Thanks so much. Did you hear about this new egg thing? <laughs> I've been busy working on my presentation for tomorrow, so no, I missed that, but I'm sure I'll catch up tonight on that news yeah new, it's almost like there's a new one every day oh isn't at there? least once a day yeah yeah, yeah, no easy, yeah. Hmm. Uh, i'm interested to see and uh, you know not to make any presumptions on your name or your accent sure that i suspect you spent a fair bit of your life living under the conditions of the gdpr like at what <laughs> when one of these breaches finally happens in europe like i'm interested to see that law enacted oh yeah aren't we all yeah, yeah we're all panicking aren't we <laughs> well it, certainly there's the panic of trying to be compliant yeah and and, <laughs> and you're not really going to know you're compliant until some legal discourse takes place but part of the gdpr that excited me the most was this whole requirement around disclosures of breaches and, and behavior around that mm, and that, that no, that's good we're finally putting some financial consequence on businesses yeah. who treat consumer data and irresponsibility yeah love it yeah that's you're the way in. to go oh yeah that's the way to go no it has to start there mm -hmm. they have to feel the pain yeah, yeah otherwise it's not gonna try to do anything are, are they yeah well and that, that's what's been crazy to me with all of the breaches have gone on is that in so many cases you're just seeing virtually no financial consequence to the business at all yeah absolutely look at the target breach a year or two ago all oh, right yeah like millions and millions of customers lost their personally identifiable data and yeah, okay, the share price went down a little bit and they might have paid, had to pay fine, but look at Target today, it's no problem. Yeah, yeah business like as usual. It was like an IoT hack or something, wasn't it? Like Through the, the HVAC system? HVAC system. Yeah. yeah, that was quite a interesting one, that one, yeah. So it shows that where there's a will, there's a way, right? Yeah. yeah. No yeah. system is secure and if an adversary is motivated enough, they will find a way, yeah. And in some ways, that scenario reminds me of your talk because you're not necessarily talking about code that developers write, but the code that developers depend upon. That's right, because, I mean, luckily in the last few years, there's been a lot more attention given to security in the code that we write. Mm -hmm. You know, we have the OWASP top 10, where developers learn that, oh, you must, you know, do input validation to avoid SQL injection and cross-site scripting. Right. However, OWASP top 10 number 9 is all about using components with known vulnerabilities, and right. it's something we perhaps don't think so much about. Mm -hmm. If you look at a web application in production today, about 90% of the deployed code is actually components that you did not write right yeah so you write maybe you know 10 percent. that's your custom business requirements the rest you rely on components usually open source components for your database connectivity for you know your parsing your web frameworks and all that do you think it's a good idea to download those components and use them locally rather than link to them across the internet i remember the javascript dependency problem where 
people were linking to jQuery, I think, on a CDN mm. rather than downloading the right version and having that on their servers. And somebody broke JavaScript, essentially, and all hell broke loose. Number one, be aware of which components you're using and mm. which version and control that. Sure. Yeah. Because that would also be, you know, when Microsoft did dependency on jQuery in 2010 with mm. the Studio 2010, hmm. they started hosting their own version of jQuery. Not that it was customized in any way, but mm -hmm. it's like they wanted to be hmm. able to tell their customers, which turns out was us. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you can use it from a CDN, but use it from our CDN. Yeah. And we're responsible for making sure that that is really the copy of jQuery that you think it is. Hmm. This is an interesting set of exploits and concerns around this. I have noticed a humanitarian toolbox now. In the past few months, GitHub has started giving you routine reports on the dependencies that are in the applications you have checked into GitHub and saying, hey, there's a vulnerability in this version of this library. Yeah, and that's wonderful, isn't it? It's, it's, to bring uh, up that awareness to the developers, yeah. It's just another email that drops in my box that scares a snot out of me on a regular basis. Yeah, well, okay. I'm sorry <laughs> to hear that. Perhaps you should action it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, what scares you, Nina? What scares yeah, me? Yeah, what scares you the most? What oh, keeps you up at night? What? <laughs> it's probably the lack of awareness. Because mm -hmm. I was a software developer for many years myself and never ever paid attention to security. I just, you know, did that input statement to use whatever component I needed for whatever. And yeah, it worked. Sweet. Let's put it in production. Off we yeah. go. And it works, right? So five, 10, 15 years later, guess what? It's still there. Right. Because why upgrade it? It ain't broken. Don't fix it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And this worries me that we leave old legacy components and don't continuously update because guess what? That component, you know, sooner or later, someone will find a vulnerability in there. Right. They will disclose it to the world. They might publish an exploit and boom. This is what happened in Equifax breach, for example. Right. Right. So there's a Java web framework called Struts. Mm -hmm. It's very commonly used, perhaps not in new applications today, but it's been around since the early 2000s. So when Web apps first started being a big thing. A lot of people use struts. Right. Turns out that someone found a very bad vulnerability in the way that, you know, they handle the content type header in the exception handling of that. When Su you do a super file subtle, huh? upload, <laughs> right? And someone was bored enough to figure out that this is a problem. And if you do a particular crazy string into this application, you can get what, what we call remote code execution, wow. which is the worst possible. So you're executing yeah. commands on the operating system. Right. Mm. So it turns out that Equifax was using this. Equifax is an American credit reporting agency. You might mm -hmm. have heard right. of it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That holds the data of what I understand is most Americans, or an <laughs> awful lot of them anyway, mm. in terms of name, address, social security number, driver's license number. Even copies of passports and driver's license. Yeah. But what's egregious about Equifax is virtually no consumer puts their data into Equifax. Right. They give their data to a bank for uh, somebody they're applying a loan to. That's right. And they're sending it to Equifax yeah, as part of a validation see. process. That's right. What their what their credit rating is, right? right? So, so Equifax had all this data. They were using Struts. They didn't pay attention to which version of Struts they were using. Mm -hmm. They uh, hadn't updated it. No. Right. So in mm. February, March 2017, it was disclosed that there's a vulnerability. A mm -hmm. uh, public exploit was available. Equifax did absolutely nothing. Right. They yeah. probably weren't even aware of it. They no, didn't even see it. They wouldn't have a clue, right? right? And then I think it was in May. This is like after the facts were, you know, sort of done the forensic analysis. Mm. It turns out in May 2017, 
they were breached. The adversaries stayed in the system for about three months and wow. exfiltrated everything they wanted. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and then eventually, you know, they figured out it was, what was going on. And the consequence, I mean, but they, the exfiltration was completed. Yeah. Like the hack had been completely successful. Yeah. They had spent Absolutely. months in their system copying yep. data yep. at a relatively low profile. Yep. And literally the only thing that Equifax ultimately knows is like the door was left open. Yeah. Basically, yeah. That's all. And the consequence of this is huge. Like, the CEO had to go to the US Congress and apologize. Mm -hmm. Like, and this is. And that didn't even help. (laughs) Yeah, no, it didn't even help. Of course, it didn't help. And the market price just plummeted and they lost, I don't know how how much money, enormous amounts of money. The class action lawsuits were like, you know. And they're they're still in business. Mm. Yeah, they're still in business. But it's just for me, it's amazing to think that this was all caused by vulnerability in an open source component. That, that developer, was years and years old. Yes, that the developer chose to put in there. And mm. how would the CEO know? But like, yeah. Yeah. We're presuming there was no vulnerability when they put it in initially. Yeah, well, probably of course, not, actually, right? it was there. It was just yeah. unknown. Right, yeah. It had been running successfully for years and years yeah, and years. Yeah, absolutely. It was a well-known tool. Yeah. Well, you remember there was the, the vulnerability in OpenSSH. You talk about something yeah. that everybody depended oh, on. Oh, yes, yes. So. And it was an error in coding. Yeah. But yeah. it had been there for decades yeah. before it got found. Mm. Are there any statistics or numbers that can tell us the risk of getting the latest versions versus the risk of keeping the older <laughs> versions? Because sometimes you'll update your dependencies or one of your dependencies, and that will have a vulnerability in it. But I guess the chances are slimmer that a, a newer version will have a vulnerability, but it's still quite possible. Yeah. So, that gets that, yeah. that testing it's, is important. Because yeah, at least the known vulnerabilities would have been patched in the later versions. Right. But yeah, something where that was frustrating with the Struts incident, because of course, Equifax was only one of the victims sure, of this. Sure, Yeah. But it, it had been identified. There was a yeah. fix for it. Yeah. Before their exploit had taken place. No, oh, absolutely. Because well, that's yeah, how yeah. you find out that there is a known vulnerability. Right, right. You keep track. Oh, there's a patch. What's going on here? What do they yeah. patch? Ooh, they patched that. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. To come to your point, turns out that the version one of Struts was not vulnerable to that particular exploit. Whereas the version two was, yeah. <laughs> but still, I'm not saying <laughs> right. don't up now. Because, you know, in theory, if you keep on the latest, at least you'll have the latest patches. Right. At least you'll be ahead of the game. Yeah. And the trick here, in my opinion, is to stay updated all the time. Right. Yeah. Because if you do major updates, you know, the increase is the risk of breaking something. Is sure. It? Yeah. Are there services that will tell you when new versions of your dependencies come out just so that you can be notified? Or is it something that you just have to set up yourself? No, absolutely. Yeah. There are services. Yeah. Because it's yeah. a, a known problem for anyone who uses components, which yeah. is anyone who develops applications. So. We call this process the software composition analysis, mm-hmm. and there are many automated tools that can help you with this. Conceptually, it's very simple. You have an automated tool that regularly or so that makes an inventory of all your components to mm-hmm. see what are you using and which version. Mm-hmm. It also regularly does an inventory of the latest version of those components, right. yeah. and it also looks for in the databases available for the known vulnerabilities of yeah. those components. It basically, does a mapping and goes, "Here you go. This is your status at the moment." Right, and yeah. this is something that GitHub has started doing essentially. essentially yes, essentially. Know. I haven't looked in detail for that. The emails I've looked at were not as sophisticated as what you just described. Sure, but it's yeah. Along no. those lines of just, yeah. hey, if, start. if you yeah. keep your source in GitHub, one of the the services you get from that is this regular notification of you take a dependency on this library and it has mm. a known vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. You know, also, if you're using NuGet. In Visual Studio, you can see what updates are available. Mm-hmm. 
But I do like the idea of getting an email on a routine basis. Yeah. yeah. Probably per app that says, yeah. this is the manifest. These are the current versions. You mm. need to be no- concerned about these things. Yeah. Mm. And for depending on which tool you use, like you may implement a tool in your organization for your application, such as it's Black Duck, there's White Source, it's Snook, there's a whole range of mm-hmm. vendors who offer these products. And then you can customize it to put it into your build pipeline and your processes the way you work. Right. So if a Jira ticket is what you need to fix something or to update something. Generate the Jira ticket yeah, directly. Yeah, it will generate the Jira ticket and put mm. it in your queue. Nice. And voila, you know. So actually make it part of the CICD oh, pipeline. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's so what you that have to do, yeah. Anytime you compile that app, it's immediately poking you on, yeah. hey, th- this has got a vulnerability. Exactly. So you can choose where in your software development lifecycle you would like to enter these tools as well. You mm-hmm. can start already in the IDE, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. in which case you get, get a heads up, mm-hmm. you know. Which is great, because then you go, oh, okay, yeah, either I should update or I'm entering a new library and, oh, actually, it turns out this one is very vulnerable. I should use another one. Mm -hmm. Right. Or you can hook it up to your package manager, to your Mm -hmm. build system like Jenkins or TFS or whatever Mm -hmm. you're using. Mm -hmm. If you have a binary repo, you can plug in a little hook there. Whenever you add a new binary in there, it will tell you if it's vulnerable or not. Or you can even poke at your production apps. So it's, it's up to you whatever suits you. So there's no real like excuse to not do it in my opinion. There's yeah. A, yeah, there's not one right way yeah. to go about this. You have a bunch of choices, but it's absolutely making that search security considering part of the process of building software. Exactly. So in your sprint or whatever methodology you use, you should always, in my opinion, have this as a story or a task mm-hmm. to, you know, have a look yeah. at your dependencies or your yeah, components, yeah. see how they are. Right. Are we vulnerable? And yeah, make a decision as to what, if you want to upgrade or not. Then mm. let's, Pause just for this moment for a very important message. Hi, this is Richard. The Dev Intersection Fall Show this year will be December 3rd to 6th in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand Hotel. The lineup is awesome. Scott Guthrie, Scott Hanselman, Scott Hunter, yes, all the Scots. But also a ton of great industry speakers for some insight on what's coming up in the world of .NET. You know, Core 3 is bringing client technology like WinForms and WPF into play. Could it be time to migrate your existing desktop apps to this new technology? Come learn more at Dev Intersection, December 3rd to 6th in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand. Go to devintersection.com to register and use the code Rocks to get a discount. And we're back. It's Richard Campbell and Carl Franklin here at NDC Sydney. It's .NET Rocks. And we're speaking to Nina, Julia's daughter about uh, the vulnerabilities that exist in code that we depend on but not necessarily own. Is there a responsibility for those component creators? I mean, I, obviously, I want to own that as well. And they're probably doing the mm. low-level stuff of recognizing where the problems are and fixing it in theirs. In the end, it's not me trying to fix their code, but rather just getting their notices and getting onto the new versions that have the fixes. That's on your viewpoint, really. I would say, like, the more mature open-source organizations like Apache or Spring Source. Mm-hmm. you know, obviously, they have a reputation to protect. Yeah. So it's in their interest to fix it but if i as a developer fancy using you know the library developed by bob four years ago and he never looked at it again right yeah yeah good luck yeah good luck exactly (laughs) like i shouldn't really blame bob in my opinion and ultimately you as the app in the field yeah are holding the liability anyway yeah i can't think of a single case where someone like like a target might go after that hvac vendor for not making sufficiently secure software is it worth or are there ways to do tests against components for vulnerabilities before you put them into your software? Absolutely. 
You can look for known vulnerabilities. That's using this process that we just talked about. Right. Yeah. Or you can also look for unknown vulnerabilities. Mm. Oh, yeah, that that's tickles your fancy. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking <laughs> um, about. Number of ways you can use static analysis tools, mm-hmm. which is something that I use as in my role in application security. When I look at the custom written source code, we use uh, something called static analysis tools, which basically, yeah, reads through the source code and, yeah, yeah does fancy stuff and figures out different pathways of how you can get through and if there is sufficient validation or if there are any vulnerabilities. Yeah, uh, so literally there. parsing your source code to look for potential vulnerabilities. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Creates an upsec syntax tree and then does the control phone to have mm-hmm. a look through. Yeah. So, yeah, you could absolutely do that. And that happens. Yeah. If yeah. you want to be sure. Also, it could be part of your CI/CD pipeline too. Yeah, that's if you have, you know, the source code of of the library. Of you could also do, do dynamic analysis, which is when it is deployed, and you try your normal t- pen testing mm. techniques, right, to see if you can break in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Paula Janowski is one of our favorite people. We've known oh, yeah. her for years and years. She comes up run as mostly, but you'd never let that lady near your machine. Yeah. Well, the, the <laughs> story. Paula's story is great. She's this, you know, kind of very unintimidating <laughs> petite blonde girl from uh, Poland and she went in for a job interview and she said was it, she'd been hired to do the pen testing yeah well, she just didn't tell the yeah the she front desk that oh, yeah and she said you know well your appointment is in a half an hour once you have a seat and she says <sighs> can I have the wi-fi password uh, so I can check my email yeah, please uh, <laughs> sure no problem so then she sits down yeah. and she got into her interview and so, yeah. what makes you think you're qualified for the job? And she <laughs> says, well, here are all your databases. Yeah, I mean, your network. Yeah. Uh, here's, here's your admin account. And Yeah. Oh. Yeah, lovely. Social engineering. That's a good way yeah. to uh, get a job in security. <laughs> True. In some ways, I would think we're in good shape if the only exploits you can get into a network are social engineering exploits. Yeah. Like, because straight yeah. software vulnerabilities is one thing where we can literally be blindly sweeping for that vulnerability as mm. opposed to the effort it takes to find someone to to get you in the door. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I talk to colleagues that work at other IT, IT departments or organizations, and the number of times when they have been audited and they have found that the, the general security of the applications is pretty good, they can't right. really break in. However, you can walk straight in through the front door and into the server and no problem. Right. Because mm. people are very helpful. Oh, yes, I'll hold the door. Let me hold that door you. for yeah, you. Yeah, that's right. right, yeah. Well, and passwords stuck to post-it notes on the sides yeah. of displays and yeah. on underside the keyboards, like all of those sorts of classics. Yeah. You know, what I think about real social engineering pieces, it's the making phone calls and convincing people to tell you things they shouldn't tell yeah, you. Yeah, like Kevin Mitnick back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, and things are getting more and more sophisticated these days where the black hats are now getting names of the right people inside of organizations oh, and yeah. face spoofing their emails oh, yeah. and like it's getting more challenging on yeah, all of those levels. Automated tools to just harvest all the data publicly available about about people. an organization. Yeah. And then it's too easy to write a targeted email and get them to click that link. Yeah. But again, I don't think that's in scope for what we're talking about here. True. Just it's just to, interesting. Well yes. it certainly is. And it's just what's interesting is that for many, many years the exploit side was almost academic, right? We talked about mm. the you know the you know, the days of the slammer virus and so forth. But they had no payloads; yeah. they were just propagators. Yeah, and, you know, I, I wouldn't call it you know university hijinks, but it wasn't far above that. Today's black hats are making money. Oh yeah, you know, ransomware is a business. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and they're they're serious. Yeah, and they are business. they are stealing money. Yeah, effectively, absolutely, yeah, and selling so selling data, you know, 
yeah. that are about us as people has high value. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. it turns out we distribute most of that on Facebook anyway. So yeah, well, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't yeah. know how high value it actually is to some folks. Hmm. Yeah. I can think of a lot of companies who you could classify as stealing money. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially in security. <laughs> Why am I still paying $200 for somebody to tell my website visitors that I actually have a certified oh the ssl cert oh my god what a Uh, racket that is i wish i could get into that business go to my (laughs) website give me your money and i'll say that you're okay come on i think troy's working on a piece about how ev is kind of dead just thinking you should talk to scott hellman yeah about that yeah yeah Yeah. they're definitely you know going through the extended validation stuff is questionable now Mm, yeah it was questionable back then I just find certs too hard to use, right? They we, are. We just went through this battle. They're ridiculously hard to use. Yeah. yeah, they are. There's so many different formats and how do you install them in different systems. Mm-hmm, and, yeah, mm-hmm. bit of a nightmare. Yeah. No good answer. And yet we want signed code. Of course, There's yeah. really no strategy around that for open source projects like th- that we could come up with some kind of standard that at least you knew you were running what you were, thought you were running. Yeah, I, I don't know. S- slightly outside of my expertise. Yeah. But yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? No yeah. easy answers to any of that. Yeah. If it was easy, we'd be doing it, I guess. If it was easy, you could buy it at 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> we mostly talked about open source components here. Do you deal with organizations where they're dealing with closed source libraries that they're depending upon? I mean, it's getting kind of archaic now, isn't it? Yeah, closed source. Yeah, you don't see a lot of that these days. But I don't know. They, uh, the work I've been doing is mainly focused on open source components. But right. of course, there's a lot of closed source components too that have known vulnerabilities. You know, mm. Microsoft has a large number of them, as we all know. Yeah, yes. they still do. And, you know, they, the standard framework is a closed source product still. Yeah, there happens to be an true. open source version of it, but they're not the same. No. Uh, uh, you don't really trust one over the other because of open source or closed source. I mean, you can make an argument in both directions about the vulnerabilities. That's of, uh, an epic discussion that we can have for weeks, I think. Yeah. yeah. Is, is closed source or open source more secure? Yeah. Should we uh, just throw something out there to get people mad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take a stand on um, one? Is it a pessimistic versus optimistic view? If I have the source code available, there's more good guys than bad guys, so we're more likely to find and fix vulnerabilities. That's the argument for okay. open source, yeah, right. The, ba- the pessimistic view is don't show them your code. Are you crazy? They're going to find all the vulnerabilities. You know, it yeah. comes yeah. down to this age-old question. My wife and I are constantly <laughs> battling this. Are people inherently good or are they inherently evil? <laughs> mm. I mean, this is kind of the question, the philosophical question we're rubbing up against here. Yeah. Right? Do you trust humanity with your software? Mm. I still believe that we're more good than bad and i still believe open source is the uh, way to go i mm-hmm. agree and i think that people will given a choice do the right thing but any human who is struggling for survival that's typically when they fall into nefarious practices mm. yeah yeah but you know it's important as developers that we are not naive right as well we mm. yeah oh of course you should use open source components because What's the alternative? You're going to reinvent right. the wheel on how to do that ju- database connection or sure, that yeah. JSON parsing or whatever it is. Well, and on the presumption that your implementation will be more reliable and more secure than the existing Exactly. One. That's yeah. the same argument as on-prem versus cloud. Like, right. you know, organizations are like, whoa, we're not going to the cloud. It's scary. That's dangerous. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking in a lot of cases, you know, the cloud providers have really thought about security in a way right. that you never have on-prem. Driving to work is dangerous. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway. The public cloud providers have full-time staffs who specialize in this. I mean, exactly. If, right. if you're big enough to do that, then maybe you should be running your own cloud yeah exactly. most of like us are job. not yeah yeah and so what i was getting to with components is you use them but don't be naive always yeah. assume that there's a, a problem with them you know you need and to so treat them as such you need to you know to mm-hmm. your standard checks are the known vulnerabilities and how are you using them so it is a commitment if you're going to use this component yeah 
to how are we going to keep it updated? How yeah. do we get aware of the vulnerabilities there? Yeah. And in theory, before we even start using it, do they have a mechanism to make sure that they're catching their vulnerabilities and feed them out to the mm. to the consumers of their components? Yeah, and also make a judgment call on the operational security of it. Like, was it developed by, you know, a people organization that have full-time staff that, sure. you know, make right. patches? Or was it done by Bob four years ago right. and yeah. never looked at again? And it's the fact uh, that it might be in the Apache Foundation or the .NET Foundation thing is, is another source of credibility. So hmm. I think there is an aspect here of assessing the security merits of a component before you consume it. Yeah. Well, and also, just because it passes all the tests, all hmm. the unit tests, doesn't mean that it doesn't have vulnerabilities. No. They're only as good as the tests you can come up with. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Well, Richard, guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time for me to ask you a question, Richard. Okay. What's the best way to stop memory leaks in old software? Turn it off. Nope. No. Depends. <laughs> well, that's one kind of leak anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so as we get older, our humor changes, yes. you know. Uh, it's actually time to give away a $200 Amazon gift card, compliments of Progress Telerik, to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about the most comprehensive developer toolkit for building modern apps on the market today. Telerik DevCraft. With more than 1,100 Telerik.net and Kendo UI JavaScript components and controls, you can easily build modern, high-performant web, mobile, and desktop apps, as well as chatbots. The toolset also includes reporting solutions, automated testing, and productivity tools, and comes with a range of support options. New this year is a free online training program for all license holders. With this, alongside thousands of demos with source code, comprehensive docs, and a full assortment of Visual Studio templates, you'll be up and running with the Progress Telerik and Kendo UI tools in no time. Download a free 30-day trial today at Telerik.com slash download. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Stefan Olson. Congratulations, Stefan. <laughs> and Stefan just won a $200 Amazon gift card, compliments of progress, Telerik, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you'd like to be a member, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And we also like to ask our guest, Nina, if you had $5,000 to spend on any kind of technology today, what would you buy? I have been thinking a lot about that, you know. We didn't mean to put that much pressure on you. Yeah, no, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I have sort of the opposite problem. I have three children, and we have stuff everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, if I was to spend five thousand, So, it's not going to be drums. Ah, that's what you're saying. I got it. Hire a dumpster. <laughs> yes. Uh, get yes. rid yes. of stuff. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Okay. Easy. Less is more. dollars left. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, yeah. A, a dumpster every year for the next 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Even better. Far out. You don't need me here. This is awesome. delivered by drones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I love it. <laughs> you know, between the complexities of the very family structure of my life, my daughters ended up with four grandmothers. 
Yeah, and that's right. a lot of loot at Christmas. Yes. Oh yes. my goodness. Yes. And we yeah. it finally had to become part of the. It's just the stuffies, right? Just the stuffed toys <gasps> yes. and stuff. That, that before yeah. Christmas, <laughs> yeah. you literally had to round up all these stuffed toys and you put them in a bag. Yeah. And we'd leave them for the year in case you missed any of them. Yeah. Mm. But we'd take the last year's bag that you didn't open mm. and oh. go donate them out. Mm. Because otherwise, you can't walk into the room. You're up to your neck in stuffed toys. Yeah. Yeah. See, Amazon has got it all wrong. Like they're delivering by by drone, but no, they, they need, to need to haul take away away <laughs> by drone. You were on to yeah. something. You're yes, totally. You're on yeah. to something. Mm-hmm. Wow, I'd buy that. Maybe that's okay. the policy. For every box you drop off, you must yeah. take one away. Right? Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, we're gonna go with with consumer neutral processes. How about yes. a cardboard box shredder? Yes. <laughs> that would be a good one. <laughs> 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 uh, I love it. You can leave the stuffies right in there. Just nice. Stuff them right in there. Put back Shred through. it. <laughs> I want to recap a little because I'm excited about this. You know, I'm definitely like feeling like I'm wearing my info hat yeah, right lovely. now. That's the of, way. You know, got they, a lot of hats. Keep it I on. I do. Yeah. You know, but that, it, it, it's made of tinfoil, oddly enough. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's good. You should be paranoid. Always be paranoid. <laughs> Just because you're not paranoid <laughs> doesn't mean they aren't out to get you. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I do like this. As we adopt components as developers, that there needs to be the conversation about what is the security status of this? What's the vulnerability? What does the workflow of vulnerabilities look like? And the consideration for the cost that that represents, mm. that it should be incorporated, I think, in a CI CD pipeline, just because like that's a great place to put it, that yeah. it's part of the checks and so forth. So yeah. There's a reasonable set of requirements to deciding on a component. Mm. Absolutely. Because guess what? In terms of cost efficiency, how much do you think it costs to fix that? problem in production when you find it yes enormous amounts how much mm. do you think it costs to just not use that library or framework to start with mm-hmm. nothing mm-hmm. right yeah yeah well i mean you you brought that library in for a reason it does yeah, something useful absolutely. that you're now going to have to write the code for so there is an assignment to that mm. every bit of code that we write also represents security risks and yeah mm. absolutely mm. yeah yeah but i appreciate this idea that we tend to want to use other people's code to save ourselves some writing time, yeah. but it doesn't come for free. No. Open right, source yeah. is freedom, not free. Right? And it's you know, more relevantly is this that there is a set of obligations you're gonna have to take on. Hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And we just bring need to bring that awareness to developers mm-hmm. that when they're doing that input statement or that usage or require or whatever they do, hmm. yeah, it, it comes with the with the responsibility. It's not yeah. an outrageous thing. Like this shouldn't be show stopping. No. It's, God, unless no. you really it's like you know. This component came from central Russia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to think hard about, you know, the sources of your components and, and what they might represent and whether or not they, you know, they, you can assess that the, they have a process for evaluating their own potential vulnerabilities and they have a mechanism for reporting that. And hopefully they're supporting these tools that are out there, feeding that information in so that they show up on the tooling for vulnerabilities. What, what about vulnerabilities that are created by our own junior developers? You know, our yeah. own our own staff. Yeah, yeah. I can remember long, long ago. All right, so don't judge me because I was probably twenty years old, <laughs> and long I was time just ago. experimenting. Yeah, it was mm. the dark ages. I was experimenting with file watching. You know, looking at a directory. This is before .dot net, right? Mm-hmm. I think it was Windows ninety five or something like that. I can't remember, but anyway, I said to my friend, "Hey, check this out." put up, you know, this folder and I'm going to add a file to that folder. And then when I see that file, this application is going to look on a timer and look in that folder for a file and it's going to run a program, right? And it's be really cool. It's the way we could do sort of remote, you know, program execution. He goes, okay, cool. Yeah. Well, the timer was set to like 10 milliseconds. 
And before I ran the app, I forgot to move the file out of the folder. So guess what? Every 10 milliseconds, another instance of this app would run and it just went. Screen, he goes, what did you do to my machine, dude? That's what you call dosing yourself. That's right. Indeed. I learned a valuable lesson that day. Just like a child can learn a lot from a broken plate. A developer can learn a lot from taking down somebody's machine by accident. Yeah, crushing the machine. Well, anyway, what about our own uneducated staff mm. making simple mistakes. It's a huge problem. Look, I did computer science at uni and no one ever mentioned anything about security. Right. Mm. I special- it's an engineering problem. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> Look, I, I specialized in software development at uni and nah, no one ever mentioned anything about it. Yeah. And I spent many years happily programming lots of applications, never thinking once about security. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a big problem. We need to re-educate the developers. We need to start at uni, of course, where you learn to code or wherever you learn to code. Right. It's just, in my opinion, just another quality aspect, really. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, if you are beyond that and you're already a developer, there are a lot of nice training tools that OWASP uh, organization have a lot of good resources, for example. Yeah. I keep a close watch on OWASP to just see if yeah. there's any way we can ever get SQL injection out of number one position. Oh, like, no. I'm going to throw a party the day that moves no. just to number two. It's going to stay. we get to number two? It's going to stay. Uh, yeah, I think it is too. There are also a platform called uh, Secure Code Warrior, mm-hmm. which it's an online gamified platform which teaches developers how to write more secure code. It explains okay. the problem and teaches them to identify problematic code mm-hmm. and teaches them a better way of coding so that's one way another way i found effective is to also just demonstrate to the developer that hey this is your code you're not doing any input validation look what i do when i put this sql statement in your nice little form that you thought someone was going to put their first name in have you ever been demonstrating these techniques like sql injection in a talk and had people go (gasps) and leave the room (laughs) (laughs) i've had people go (gasps) definitely yeah Um, yeah but not leave the room but yeah you can see that sort of oh okay now what do i do like yeah is there a tool i can use like yeah Oh, look, we're getting there and awareness is, is getting up there, but there's a lot to do, a lot to do. Yeah. You mentioned this technique of, of calling uh, an XE uh, yeah, file. Yeah, that yeah. still happens. Sure. Yeah. Today, 2018, yeah. mm-hmm. developers think, oh, yeah, well, that's a good idea. That works. What could go wrong? Right. What could go wrong? <laughs> exactly <laughs> <What could> right. <sighs> yeah. Little so, Bobby Tables is out there and he's looking for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, so what we do in many large organizations is we deploy static analysis code tools mm-hmm. right. which finds vulnerabilities and then we yeah. need to explain to the developer look here is your problem this is how you need to fix it mm-hmm. yeah uh, the trouble is of course when we have to do this over and over and over again right, right. and they don't learn so you need to bring it as far left as you possibly can and teach the developer sooner is better I th- you know you mm-hmm. said I, I caught a statement you said there were security as an aspect mm. as opposed to security as a feature yeah it's mm. a quality aspect in yeah. my opinion yeah exactly so it's a non-functional requirement which is why it kind of gets forgotten sure yeah it's exactly it's not a feature yeah it's and you, just and you really can't be added later really it needs to be oh no it needs to be built in it's yeah. the only way it really is the mm. only it way it doesn't yeah. really work anyway I'd also think our tools have not encouraged us. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I just wonder if we couldn't have more of that pit of success effect. Because mm. often I look at the fact that so much .NET code has to run as admin. Mm. Because the yeah. developer is always working as admin. Yeah. And so it takes security constraints they don't even realize mm. they're doing because they always have high privileges when they're running their code. 
because the only time they've ever gone to a domain level account or no, normal privileges, mm. they had problems. Yeah. So they're they like, oh, that doesn't nope, work. Straight yeah. to admin. <laughs> I have got time yeah. to figure this out. Yeah. And, oh, this works. Great. Sweet. Let's and go. And now yeah. you have all this code that depends on that, that uh, yeah. higher security level. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. Architectural decisions can be fundamentally insecure. You know, the way that your application is designed can fundamentally lead to vulnerabilities if you're not careful. Mm. Are there any known pattern or anti-patterns about insecure architecture that you've found over the years? It is a problem that Mm -hmm. solutions architects are so unaware and don't understand that they have the power to make it natural to build security in. Yeah. I mean, I guess all security measures are architecture. I mean, really, if you're talking about how we do authentication, how we do authorization, you know, where those fit in the flow of your system is architectural by design. You know, I guess I'm I'm thinking of storing passwords as clear text rather than hashing them. Yep. <laughs> that kind of thing. Or just not taking that responsibility on in the first place. Right. Or just leaving it all to SSL. You know, oh, it's always going to yeah. be unencrypted. We'll just send the <laughs> passwords clear. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Who does that? Who, Who does, does that? that? No. <laughs> A corollary to that then is this, you know, perhaps developing in the cloud for the cloud is innately more secure. Why is that? Because it's pretty hard to store your own passwords. Yeah. You will tend to use one of the platform services that the cloud has that requires better policy Mm. and better behavior around identity. That's Mm. true. That's Mm. one way of building um, security through, yeah, just through the sheer architecture that you're forced to adhere to. Yeah. When you build the cloud, yeah. Yeah, that once we start involving these external agencies that kind of insist on doing things right, I'm not saying you wouldn't be able to circumvent it, but I again, see. paying the path of least resistance is uh, yeah, a more yeah, secure yeah. aspect. Oh, I can yeah. see an example yeah. of that. Like if you have a, a web server, if you're in a VM, even in the cloud, and you're using IIS, mm-hmm. where you put your folders for your web routes right. matters. Sure. Right? And you start embedding them within each other, now you've got a problem. Sure. You know, and where you can't do that with an Azure app service. Yeah. Well, and when you think about it, what's nice when you get to an Azure app service is there is no OS that you know or care about. Right. So there's a set of patches you don't have to deal with. Right. And it has an architecture that they know how to secure that you can't avoid. And you just add an S to HTTP and you've got at least encryption both <laughs> ways without a secure provider. Yeah. I just you wish know, if you're could... using the Azure websites.net. Thing, like, I just wish we could do it a nicer way. You know. Yeah. I like us being end to end encrypted. I think, I don't know if you have an opinion on this, Nina. They've conjoined two tasks with T- SSL sus TLS, which is encrypting end to end and identity. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Because they're two different things. Oh, yeah. And it's biting us in the behind now, yep. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's like, because I think we could do encrypt end to end without involving us much at all. So just Absolutely. encrypt as much as you can. Like, it's almost like you have to have privilege in order to encrypt. Because why? Why is that? Why was that ever decided to be bundled together? Mm. Hmm. Well, Chrome is doing something about it now, isn't it? With right. its changes to the UI. So, tell me about that. It used to be that you know you have to. We're teaching consumers to always look for the green padlock, you yep. know, because mm. that makes you secure and that yeah. you know makes sure that the site is who you think they are. Yeah. Supposedly. Right. Yeah. As you I'm, said, we commingle those concepts. Yeah, completely. Well, haven't they just moved away from that now? And yeah. It's- and now, Gray? now, yeah, they're, they're thought, actually, you know oh. what? It shouldn't be like that. It should be the other way around. It should be, if you get a big fat warning in your face, then you need to worry. Right. If you don't, everything's fine, which makes more sense. So if you're 
certificate has expired, are they not telling you, hey, this is unknown, you know? Yeah, they've always done that. They're not, no, not they're still doing, doing it. it. They're still, still doing, doing it. it. Okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's sort of switching the, the concept around. And instead of you have to actively go and think, oh, is this secure? Yeah. It should be in your face if it's not secure. Right. Which I think yeah. is the right way to go. Default to security. Yeah. Any other tips for developers thinking about how make sh- how they make their code secure? Don't trust anyone. Mm-hmm. Don't trust anyone. Don't be naive. Be paranoid. Yeah. There are a lot of bored people out there <laughs> who will just, you know, put weird shit into your forms that yeah. you did not intend. Always Users remember are weird. that. Yeah. yeah. Don't trust any kind of data source, like any users or APIs. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. don't trust them. Mm. Just verify. Sanitize it's very simple. Inputs. Encode, sanitize, validate. Mm-hmm. It's not that hard. Mm. It really isn't. There are ready-made libraries. <laughs> okay. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we just yeah. talked about insecure libraries, but yeah. you can use regular expressions. You can use libraries that right. sanitize and encode. It's easy to build security, and it really is. Yeah. yeah. Anytime you're jumping across a security context, check everything. Yes, exactly. It's, yeah. Just think. And don't trust. If right. you do that, if you have the right mindset, you come a long way already. Yeah. Wow. Apparently, paranoia is productive and useful. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Is it actually paranoia or is it just good sense? Paranoia is a little extreme, but certainly mistrust. Mistrust, you know? yes. Yeah. Let's call it yeah. mistrust. Sure. Yeah. Being cautious. Yes, exactly. Don't expect that the users will play nice. Right. They may not, yeah. Humans behind anonymous IP addresses are inherently evil. <laughs> when you meet them face-to-face, not so much. Yeah. Mm. Not the same thing. No. Cool. So what's next for you? What are you doing after uh, NDC? Oh, going back to work, I suppose. Now I try to educate everyone and all the time. So I, I give as many talks as I can. So mm-hmm. I give talks at user groups and meetups. I will be talking at the OWASP app application security day coming mm-hmm. up in october yeah. nice as well in melbourne so if you anyone else would like me to come and talk i'm always available to come and and tell the world and how do we get in touch with you linkedin julia daughter Great. yeah on linkedin um yeah that's me so pick me up excellent awesome well, thanks for uh, spending this time with you it's yeah. really delightful thanks so much for having me it's a pleasure okay great and we'll see you next time on dotnet rocks .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a